And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider Podcast. Sam Webb here with the man that provides for us the experience, the analysis, uh, and the great passion for Michigan basketball, a former player, both at Michigan and the NBA, and now on the broadcast side, and also uh, one of the top guys with the NBA Players Association, talking about Tim McCormick. My man, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing fantastic. We're, we're entering the home stretch, and... The, the standings are materializing, and boy, what a big week for Michigan. I I um, I wouldn't have been surprised had they lost both games this week. Um, with the uncertainty with Xavier, with Isaiah not playing, with the tremendous parity, um, nine teams have a four or five or six in the L column in mm-hmm. the Big Ten, which is pretty amazing. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, but you said, I remember uh, heading into, before conference play started, you said, look, the Big Ten champ probably is going to have five losses, which is a, a high number for a champion, but it's looking like it's going to be pretty much on point uh, this year, Tim, as, as as are most of the things that, you, that you've said thus far about this this college basketball season for Michigan. But we got to start off first talking about Xavier, uh, you know, because because we spent so much time talking about what a what an excellent leader he is, what valuable, what a valuable beacon he is for his team. Uh, it was immensely disappointing for him, for the captain of your team to to be suspended. Uh, and that that could have very easily been a bigger setback than it was. Credit to his teammates uh, for that, but this is this is definitely this was definitely a blemish for him, and and something that he had to and has to continue to make up for for his team. I am um, I can't remember a Michigan captain being suspended for anything. Um, I actually talked to Richard Relford, Butch Wade, a couple of my teammates, and they they can't remember it either. Uh, you miss his presence. You miss his leadership. Um, I was surprised as well. Um, as a senior captain. I, you just can't put yourself in any situation like that. I, I remember the story also about um, Tommy Amaker was a captain for Coach K, and and he was he was late for the bus. And um, the previous week, one of the freshmen had been late for the bus, and Coach K left him the, the bus off. And when when Tommy Amaker was late waited and they asked him about it and and he said you know Tommy Amaker has four years of 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 leadership currency in his bank account I'm not leaving that guy he just made a simple mistake and so you know all week long I've been like you maybe like like our listeners wondering what happened what did he do um to to get suspended and and when, when you think about that he broke the team rules, which is obvious, and it, it's secretive, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not telling you what what it is, and the speculation starts. And so, I, I I did a lot of thinking, like, is that unfair to to put him out there? Because maybe I don't know, maybe he was late for practice, maybe he overslept. I don't know. Maybe it was a drug test. Maybe it was a class. Um, you know, I don't even I don't even really want to to try to guess what it was. But I had twenty five people come up and ask this week what did Xavier do I have no idea do you think that 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 that's at all unfair to a kid to to put him out on blast like that Uh, or you know know, if it if it if it's not that bad then maybe we should know but if I don't know I I kept thinking that I wanted to ask you your opinion so you know I think that 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 piece of it is something that he as a 
you know, as a student athlete and that his parents participate in. I think that if if it were an issue that he felt would it would benefit, he would benefit from it being public rather than secretive. I think they would have done that. I, I think that when it came to how it's handled publicly and and how it's put out there or whether it's put out there, that that's something that that he has a hand in. So if if he wanted it that way, I think it would have been that way. But as it stands, you know, is it is it unfair for for him to be scrutinized? I, I, I think the the spotlight comes with the position. The mm-hmm. expectation comes with the role. And and for me, I just you know, I don't think that that fairness to him is even a question here. Uh, I think it's it's more about, as you said, you know, as the captain of a team. And this is coming from a guy who I mean, that he's one of my favorite Wolverines of all time. As the captain of the team, you said it best. You cannot you cannot put yourself in a position uh, where where that kind of that kind of scrutiny is brought upon you if 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 it's unfair so let, let's 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 stipulate for a second for those that think it's unfair that it's handled this this way unfortunately it's something that he brought on himself uh in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things it obviously wasn't so serious that he had to miss more than one game so i don't think it's necessary to to browbeat him for it or to make the criticism linger but it was just something that i feel like we had to we had to acknowledge after we spent so much time talking about what a terrific leader he is and has been for this team. Make no mistake, this does not diminish his leadership, the leadership that he's shown to this for this team throughout his career. But it is unquestionably a, you know, a blemish on his leadership that he got suspended this year. The glass half full part of it, Tim, to, to jump in. Uh, to to the Nebraska game is his team really stepped up in his absence. If you want to draw a positive from that negative, to me, it would be that. I I completely agree. And before we jump into Nebraska, um, kudos to Juwan. He's establishing his culture. He sat his senior captain in a must-win situation. A lot of coaches, I think, would have said, no penalty, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm speculating on that a little bit, but I thought it was a gutsy move, and I applaud Juwan um, for a, lo- a strong leadership move. And whatever he did, the players on the squad know that, that there's zero tolerance in that area. Right. Oh, and, and, Tim, I mean, you haven't been a leader. I think that's, that's the part that's the toughest. You, you mentioned his presence, but, you know, leadership, when, you, when it comes to accountability for other guys – kind of hard to hold other guys accountable for things that you've done yourself right you know that's that's at at least after you've been appointed a leader like if you made mistakes in route to becoming a leader you can say hey i made this mistake i made that mistake don't fall don't follow the same path but once you become a leader those kinds of mistakes are supposed to be behind you which again like i said it it makes it tougher to for for guys to kind of Follow, hey, don't do this, don't do that, because, hey, didn't you just do so-and-so? So, again, in the grand scheme of things, though, I don't want to spend – I don't want to belabor it because, again, it, it, it was one game. It was a one-game suspension. They clearly thought the, the message was sent and the appropriate penalty was paid in one game. So I think we can, we can make a – draw a correlation between the length of the penalty and the offense – and say, hey, it wasn't a huge deal, 
Certainly one that he needed to be punished and reprimanded for, but now it's behind him, uh, and he obviously bounced back against Rutgers, which we'll get into later. But before that, his teammates picked him up. He Normally it's him yeah. picking up his teammates. His teammates picked him up against Nebraska. Yeah, I I am. Um, I was really impressed. And before we go to Nebraska, let me share one more story that I, I think relates to to the role of senior leaders. Um, when I was a freshman at Michigan, I had never been away from home, and I remember the first weekend going to a party on campus, and and it got to you know it's well after midnight, and there was just there was a lot of things I had never seen or never experienced, and was having a fun time. And I remember our, our senior captain, Paul Hireman, um, he came over and he put his arm around me and said, hey, young fella, he said, it's probably about time you, you should you should be uh, leaving. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, well, well why? And, mm-hmm. and he said, it's time to go. And so I left and I think back to that. And and when I was a senior captain, um, there were there were a number of times that that I did the same thing with some young guys. So that's um. That's the value of having guys that have been through a program that if they're the right kind of leader, they can they can establish a culture just like the coach can. Right. So so let's let's talk about Nebraska. Yeah, absolutely. And like you, uh, a a game that on paper you look at Tim and you say Michigan should win this game. But with Xavier Simpson out, suddenly it becomes a major, major question. And like you said, I mean, big t- road wins are always tough to come by i sound like a broken record we say it every week every week but this year harder to come by so if you can get one if you can you know not to take any opponent for granted but if you know hey we should get nebraska like okay good let's go handle business but suddenly this becomes one that's a major question mark and you could see that nebraska was kind of smelling it kind of you know kind of had some some faith and a little bit of life and and uh and gave michigan the game but fortunately for them you had some guys, as I said before, that were really ready to step up in Xavier Simpson's absence. Exactly. And think about Purdue and Iowa. Like, they know how hard it is to play at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed the game in Lincoln. It, it was a wonderful environment. They have a good coach and a bright future. Uh, we know that the roster is is under construction, and I, I expect a, a big jump next year. Still, I, I felt there were a, a lot of important storylines um, against a really hard-playing opponent with your two elite leaders out. Um, Michigan made it really, really compel- excuse me, a compelling game. They were down with 12 minutes to go in the second half. It was 52-50. And I was just thinking, uh-oh, th- this, this is going to be really a challenge because – Typically, you're looking for your your veteran upperclassmen leaders to to take charge of a game like that. I didn't really think Nebraska would be able to continue to shoot as well, um, but to see those other guys, Brandon and Franz and Eli, uh, lead Michigan on a 19 to three run. The defense picked up. The big men flexed their muscles a little bit in the post game, and got their first Big Ten road game. Uh, so some some really good news there. I, I thought that the rebounding was good. I mean, they pounded Nebraska and they shot 50 percent from the field. They, they've been shooting pretty well lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brandon Johns, not too bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was a career high in that game. And you, you could see at the onset the the disparity inside the size, just the physical difference in this in these teams. Uh, made it be a game where you felt like the things that we've been talking about, you know, if ever there were going to be a game 
where Michigan tried to assert itself inside the arc. Maybe it was belligerent with it. This would seem like the game. I mean, Dan Dockage was like, Man, they, they, they need to be getting the ball into, uh, into Teske. They need to be going inside. And in this game, Tim, while it certainly is a major storyline that Eli Brooks hit a good portion of his open shots, he was four for 10 from, from three-point range in this game, and that was huge for Michigan uh, when it came to when it came to kind of keeping the floor spaced a little bit uh, and, and certainly taking what the defense gave them. Uh, but the 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 bigger offensive story to me was what they did uh, inside the arc, whether it was Brandon Johns and John Teske, uh, you know, in the post, or 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 Franz Wagner putting it on the deck. Did a great job getting downhill. Uh, seemingly at will in that game. He didn't shoot great from three, one for five from three-point range, but Franz was really, really assertive, really aggressive, putting it on the deck. They took advantage of Nebraska inside going to the basket. The four players that that you would hope would step up, um, notwithstanding David DeJulius would be on that list too. He wasn't great. Um, But Brandon Johns used his athleticism, maybe more so for the first time this year, and he had 16 points. Franz adjusted there's no doubt he's in a shooting slump um, i mean he he's taken a couple of shots that have been way off from the perimeter and it was almost like he said okay we need to win somehow and i'm not shooting well i'm going to turn myself into a driver and some of his finishes yes are are elite where you think okay that guy's a pro right. that 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 translates to any level um eli brooks was clutch and he played most of the game at point guard which surprised me a little bit um, I would have thought that Julius would have been your point, but that's a big challenge to, to take on a new position. And he was Michigan's top scorer, top rebounder, top assist man. That that's pretty impressive. And then Teske, you know, he he was single digits on on the glass, single digits in scoring. Sometimes when you play against a smaller guy that has a quickness advantage, it's easy to 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 struggle versus speed. I also think that. In that game, he he still has lost a little bit of his confidence and swagger, but he played well defensively. He was very solid, and and I I um I liked his recognition. Just just like Franz Wagner said, I'm not shooting as great as I I I would like. He didn't take any shots from three, yes. which I thought was a was a really good adjustment. Um, you know, when, when are you going to take three? Well, when when you've got you know, big rebound numbers and you're blocking shots and you're getting some dunks and you're, you know, you're feeling good about yourself. That's when you take the three. You don't start your game from three. You end your game from three. So those four guys were really good. And I enjoyed I enjoyed the win a lot. I yeah. thought it was really fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a number of great points, Tim, with, with John Teske. I want to give him I really want to give him credit for for, as you said, the, the recognition uh, of where he was, where he is offensively, and where some of his teammates uh, were, because he—I mean—he had three assists in this game. That was—that was one off the lead for the team, Tim. I mean, I, I continue to say that you know John Teske is a guy that can find others, is a factor, is a is a presence for this team. But you know, you you look across the stat line, he was very efficient from the field, four for seven from the field for for his nine points. He had eight rebounds. He had three assists. Again, where he's you know finding people, he had another pass. The, the one his, his one turnover, 
I thought was going to be for, good for another open look. Credit Nebraska for playing a passing lane there. But it was a nice kick out to the perimeter that they showed great great anticipation and stole the basketball. I wonder if, if Juwan Howard wanted, wanted John Teske to try to shoot there because he kind of got on him a little bit in that timeout. Uh, but again, I thought it was a, a time where it, it was great recognition on his part. It, it was an open teammate. Uh, that maybe would have been another assist for him to go along with the two steals and the two blocks. I just, for a game where he didn't blow up any single stat, I thought it was a very solid, a very steady performance for a guy to, that needed to be a calming force for his team, and I think he was in that game. And and what what I went into that game looking for was how was Teske going to play without his his buddy, without Xavier? Um, I liken it to this. Imagine if one week, you know, you got suspended from our podcast and you couldn't do it. And, <laughs> and there was there was somebody that came in and, and tried to run. I would be all over the place. I would be disorganized. My chemistry with a new guy would not be there. I think the same thing. John Teske plays off Xavier Simpson. Xavier Simpson gets him layups. He gets him open shots. And when John Teske is at three or when he's rolling to the basket, Xavier Simpson puts the ball right on target, makes it easy for him. I think that that was part of the reason he didn't have a huge scoring night against Nebraska because his point guard wasn't there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's another spot on point. Speaking of uh, of point guard play, you mentioned Eli Brooks really picking up uh, a lot of the point guard duty uh, duties, a lot of the slack. I, you know, I felt like in in Dave DeJulius's first start. It was you're right when you said earlier he didn't play he didn't play well. I think it has everything to do with a change in in, in mindset, Tim. And maybe you can speak to this uh, from experience. You know, coming off the bench, uh, especially when you you know they are, when you come off the bench, they are asking you to score. That that is that is your primary thought. We need you to hunt, or maybe that needs to be your 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 thought process as a starter where you aren't watching, you don't get a chance to watch to see how the game is unfolding. Uh, you know, you come in, know where you can kind of pick your spot or get to your spot. You got to feel that out from the jump. And, hey, maybe you, you got to start out with a different mindset, being a little more deferential. You saw a guy kind of going through in front of our eyes that change in mindset from bench guy, bench hunter, to or microwave, to, all right, now I got to start the game and I might – might have to be trying to get some other guys involved. David DeJulius is, he's much better in a fast paced, free flowing game. There's no doubt about that. And we saw his, his play. There were a lot of big output games that he had in the non-conference in the big 10. Scott reports are really deep right now. And Michigan is not going to get as many fast break points. I also think that when you get into conference play as a starter, you're you're a known quantity. Mm-hmm. You know the the defenses talk about David DeJulius before the Nebraska game and what he likes to do. He wasn't going to catch anybody off guard, so that's something to watch. Um, you know he he has not played as much in his his scoring the last couple of games has been down. Um, but what happens is as you slide down the the um the chart the scoring chart the scouting reports, they seem to forget you a little bit. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see him have a big game against Ohio State this week. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Before we get to your interview this week and before we get to talking about Rutgers, 
uh, or you know the Rutgers game uh, as a whole. One aspect of the Rutgers game seemed to be a carryover, Tim, from the Nebraska game, and that's the number of turnovers uh, for the season. It's not a topic we've talked about a lot here lately, but 17 turnovers against Nebraska, 16 turnovers, 16 turnovers, Tim. Uh, you know, against the uh, you know against the Scarlet Knights, those were those were stats that really could have cost Michigan more than they ultimately did. Fortunately for them, uh, but that's something they're gonna have to clean up. What do you attribute those those issues to? First of all, I um I I looked at the Nebraska game and Michigan had 16 turnovers. That's a big number, and it's unacceptable. But I, I think part of that is that Brandon Johns and Franz Wagner had ten combined, mm-hmm. and they were they were trying to be aggressive. Their their heart was in it, um, their mind was in it, and 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 maybe it was it was something they had not seen before. It was a really hostile environment, and and so I didn't have as much of a problem in the Nebraska game. Um, the rest of the team did a really good job. The 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 game against Rutgers, it really could have cost them. And fortunately, Michigan's defense was pretty darn good. And they held Rutgers down shooting-wise, I think only 33%. But the turnovers have to get corrected because Ohio State and Michigan State will destroy Michigan if they turn it over 17 times. Um, in context, though, Michigan had two against Illinois, so they're capable of protecting the ball. They just have to be a little bit more secure with it. You think it was just a little bit of rust for for X in in, in the Rutgers game? You know, he had six turnovers to to lead the way for Michigan in that column. You think it was just a little little rust as he came back? Well, I was disappointed by some of the poor decisions that they made. Um, Eli Brooks had a couple of really soft passes that were telegraphed. That's one thing that John Beeline demanded from his guys. You pass crisp, you pass to the outside hand, away from the defense. Um, there were a couple of, of turnovers by Xavier Simpson that were just completely unacceptable. There were a couple more that that should have been turnovers that, that he got a break on. So I, I would think that as they go through the scouting uh, the, the game film and the scouting from Rutgers, that the two areas that they will focus on, offensive rebounding by Rutgers. Rutgers dominated the rebounding game. It was 26-6 to six on the offensive glass. And then the other thing is how careless they were with some of their passes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great points. And I do want to credit Rutgers, uh, their their defense and their length and athleticism. That's one of the – one of the traits, one of the characteristics uh, when, when it comes to their guards, uh, their guards and wings, they're really long and athletic at that position. Uh, so definitely want to give them some credit uh, for bothering Michigan, for, for bothering uh, X. I thought the, you know, the matchup that maybe uh, was the, you know, was the maybe one of the tougher ones uh, for him to uh, deal with was Jacob Young coming off the bench. I mean, he really got into X a good deal there. Uh, so that was a nice adjustment for for them. But by and large, as we said, uh, Michigan did a good job defensively. We'll get more into that game and get more into X's performance, 10 assists on the game uh, as well. But, Tim, I want to take this time uh, as a as a halftime like we normally do to talk about your interview this week. 
Uh, and this week you caught up with one of Michigan's all-time greats, Phil Hubbard. He's a truly great player. Ten-year uh, pro, cerebral guy, always thought the game. And, and coaching, which he's been doing um, you know, for the last 20-some years, is a perfect next career from him. The one thing about Phil Hubbard that, that people may not know is that he tore his ACL during his sophomore year. And, and I thought that he was on pace to be an NBA all-star caliber player. Um, and he was still a good pro. He averaged 10 points per game, but I thought he could have been great. So he was just, he was inspiring to me and, and he's a true legend. And I just think that for some of the younger fans that, that, and followed Michigan that don't know his name. This can give you a glimpse into an all-time hero. And and for some of the, the fans that did watch him play, I think it gives you a pretty good insight on what made him great. Yeah, Phil Hubbard's name is in the rafters at Chrysler for a reason. Here is Tim McCormick with Phil Hubbard. All right, my distinguished guest this week for the 14th podcast is my favorite player in Michigan basketball history. Uh, one of the all-time greats, one of five players to have his jersey retired. Uh, in 1976, led Michigan to the national championship game against Indiana, an All-American, a gold medalist, number 35, Phil Hubbard. So excited to have you join us, and thank you. Uh, no problem, Tim. I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you. All it's right. always good talking to a Michigan man. Good. Thank you. So a little background, maybe some of our younger fans have never had a chance to see you play. You played 10 years in the NBA with Detroit and Cleveland and over 20 yep. years as an assistant coach in the NBA and the D League. And so I know your your time at Michigan was really special. Can you share some of your favorite memories as a Wolverine? I think the, the some of the favorite things, always, the you know, the wins, they always stick out. You know, you get a chance to go to the finals and and play on the national stage and play for the championship, that always sticks out uh, as one of the fondest memories, you know, there being able. But the, the other one is, too, the people I meet, the people, my teammates and stuff like that. That's something that we always – I've always had that friendship, um, even these days now, you know, that uh, we're not together, but we still have a, a bond. Uh, and that's the biggest thing there. And then maybe playing in the Olympics, you know, I was there, too. You um you, you played for Johnny Orr, who is a, a fun loving guy, um and and I'm sure you have have a few good stories about Johnny Orr as your coach. Yeah, well you know he he was such a uh, charismatic you know had a lot of uh, character, but he was a great coach. You know he he let you play, uh, he coached you hard, coached you the right way, and then you had Bill, you know Bill Free, the assistant coach. You had a good staff and. Uh, but, you know, Coach York was always like, you know, um, let's go get him, guy. You know, that's always the favorite thing. We Let's go out there and you got to just play hard. You know, but it was funny how because he had this little, uh, like, southern voice, even though he was only from Illinois, but he had, uh, like, a southern tang draw to his voice. But, uh, you know, he was a very good coach, you know, and he was very supportive and uh, really helped us develop into, uh, me develop into a good player. And my favorite memory of Johnny Orr, and I was recruited – um, by him throughout high school. He actually left the day before I committed to Iowa State, but he called everybody coach. Because, yeah, he did. Because yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I think just... he, he could remember people's names. And so that was his way of, of endearing himself to everyone. Uh, yeah, coach. In um, 1977, 
I, I was 15 years old, and you spoke at the Johnny Orr basketball camp, and, and I'll never forget it. Your, your speech was about having a game plan, and, and I remember your three goals uh, were to play at Michigan, to play in the Olympics, and to play in the NBA, and I was so inspired as a 15-year-old. They became my goals. Um, what, what, can you, what can you share about goal setting and, 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 and some of the, you know, the highlights and lowlights of your journey? I think you, you realize, you know, like you start thinking, you start playing, and then you start seeing there's a, a big picture you know, in front of you. You know, I can, there's a chance I can uh, go to college and play basketball. There's a chance I can play professional basketball. And then, you know, there's a chance you play, but you know, you got to work for that. You know, I got to, I got to work. I got to work on my game. I got to, you know, just keep developing it and just dedicate myself to, you know, getting better as a basketball player. But, you know, the the things about now, the way everything is today, you know, have so much other equipment, have so much study they've been doing on the body and stuff like that. But, you know, back in the, you know those days, we just had to go to the gym, go to the weight room, had to do it ourselves, you know. But, the, but uh, we started figuring it out, too, that, you know, you had to get stronger, you had to get quicker, you know, you had to take care of yourself, eat right, you know, and try to, you know, do the things that you thought would help you be the best ball player you could be, you know, and then set goals like, you know, say, I want to do this, you know, but not really go around telling everybody I had these goals. I just set them in my mind that I wanted to accomplish these things and why I was at the University of Michigan and I was able to accomplish most of my goals that I set at that time. And I, I, I feel, you know, along with the skill set, you know, sometimes a little luck doesn't hurt neither. I want to talk about each of those goals and start off with playing for Michigan. In 76, you led your team to the national championship game, and you lost a close game uh, to Bobby Knight and Indiana. Uh, When I had Glenn Rice on, he shared that his team would have beaten the Fab Five. Um, How would would your 76 team do against the Fab Five and also the the national champion team that Glenn Rice played on? I I think we competed very well, but, you know, uh, they had different spots to cover a little bit more. But we had had, had a lot of talent. You know, we had Wayman Britt, we had John Robbins, we had Ricky Green, Steve Brody, Dave Baxter, Joel. We had sides, too. I think we would have held our own against any Michigan team, you know, that was able to get to the Final Four. But, you know, again, that's that's just, you know, my gut feeling because, you know, I'm not going to put my team down at all. I think my guys were uh, very capable of beating anybody because we, we showed it that year and then we got to the final. It was the first time that two teams from the same conference had got to the um, championship game. That was that was probably the most amazing thing. Yeah, I had fond memories. That was the first time that I ever saw Michigan play in person. It was against Iowa. I was in the very top row in the end zones up there, and um, just have a smile on my face thinking about how fast Ricky Green was and, and how you could not be stopped. Um, so so after that that freshman year, you played in the Olympics. You won a gold medal in Montreal. What memories, Phil, can you share about that experience? I think that experience was just kind of like something I. When when I went to try out and they were having it in North Carolina, I, I assumed that I was just going to have it on my resume that I tried out and maybe I'd get in the next Olympics because, you know, they had a bunch of players trying out uh, and Ricky was trying to, I thought Ricky had a better chance of making it than I did. You know, he was a little older and I was a young guy. So I assumed that uh, I would just be there and get the experience. And then next time I'll be, you know, maybe they'll put me on the team, but turned out that, um, I end up making the team, you know, uh, making the, the final 
the final 15, you know, and then they cut down to 12. But the thing was, it was such a great experience because uh, we were under Dean Smith. And the next thing I knew, I was like, man, I'm actually on the Olympic team, you know, but you don't, you don't, you don't cherish it. You cherish it, but you know, you're so young, you just you don't see the value of it until you get a little older, you know, that this is something you represent in your country and you were able to win. But the experience I had there was uh, unbelievable because we were definitely young men playing against men, you know, cause at that time we were all college players. It wasn't like the NBA got to play. So we all were college players and that's, and they all were professionals playing in Europe and in uh, other countries. So it was it was definitely an experience there. But you see the difference of uh, us being college players and those being uh, professional players. Yeah, I, I remember in 84, I was the last player cut on the Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Bob Knight Olympic team. Um, I was mm-hmm. an alternate, so I got to practice with them and, and travel with them a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I was actually really excited because I thought I would make the team. Um, right. And I was going to give you a call and share that, you know, my goals were right. your goals and vice versa. Yeah. What, where's your gold medal now? It's in the safety deposit box I have in the <laughs> bank, so I leave it there. But I don't, you know, I keep it locked up. But uh, it's a good thing. But the thing was, like you said, you know, the same way. They still had, to, you know, the 15 players, you know, they kept 15 out of everybody to try it out. And they had to cut it down to 12. You know, it's like, okay, we, but they, they took everybody, like you said, to the end, same way, yeah. same way they took, you know, all 15 players. And then they finally cut us down to 12. It's superb. Um, Phil Hubbard is our guest and you are the third part of your, your dream was to play in the NBA 10 year career. And I particularly remember your time with the Pistons. Um, you were a teammate yeah. with Bob Lanier, um, our good friend, Greg Kelser. Isaiah was a rookie year last year with Detroit. Um, he actually played. Yeah for Dick Vitale for 12 games. Mm-hmm. Um, what what yeah. were your, your your memories of being a Piston? Well, was, they were very, you know, it was exciting, man. Because, you know, to be able to go from Ann Arbor down the road to Detroit was excellent, you know, opportunity. You know, that wasn't that far. And I was excited about being drafted by the Pistons and being able to play uh, that close to my university and my friends and my family still was in Ohio. But the biggest thing was... Uh, yeah, Dick, as a coach, he was different as a coach as he is TV. He was he was a little bit more uh, demanding with different words and things. But we were able to uh, – I found out a lot, you know, about his coaching ability. And they were like, well, came to practice one day, and they were like, practice is going to be this afternoon at, at uh, six, guys. Come back six, and we're going to fire Dick. You know, and they fired Dick <laughs> oh, no. after that. And it was like, I said, this is what the professional life is about. Yeah. Coach is changing coach. But I'm always grateful for Dick because he drafted me. You know what I'm saying? He he gave me an opportunity to meet Greg Kelser, uh, Roy Henry, you know. So I had, you know, a lot of grateful things, you know, because I was like, hey, man, you know, I, I get my shot in Detroit. But uh, the only thing I wasn't happy about, he wasn't playing me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
you know, one of the um, one of one of my favorite memories while I was at Michigan was prior to training camp, um, you and and several of the Pistons would come to Chrysler and we would get a chance to, to run up and down with you. Do you yeah. remember that? What? Yeah, I remember we did that because you know. At that time, too, we also held training camp in Ann Arbor eventually, but we did come back and play with you guys, you guys. And that was, a, you know, some uh, a good time, but be back in Ann Arbor and play against, you know, your former team. But uh, it, it, it always is good, you know, to get a chance to play college players. So I want to see you want to, like, you know, measure yourself up a little bit, say, I can do this, you know, I just need a shot to get there. But we, we had a lot of fun, but, you know, the Pistons, though, at that time, we weren't very good. I can say that we started getting decent when Isaiah came, and mm-hmm. that's when I guess I was able to get traded out. I did the year, the following year, I got traded to Cleveland. So, I am um, so. I I can remember going back during my off season and playing with Loy Vaught, and Mark Hughes, and Glenn Rice, mm-hmm. and I thought yeah. these guys are playing a lot harder than, than even training <laughs> camp is going to be. Right. So those are good memories. Um, good memories. Phil, you you spent twenty years as an assistant in the NBA, uh, multiple teams. Uh, do you know Juwan? How's your relationship with him? Oh, it's solid. I've talked to him actually. Actually, uh, funny thing, he's offered, Dave offered one of our guys on our team here, um, one of my Trevor Keels, he, uh, a junior. I mean, he, uh, he's a really good player, and Michigan's offered him. Um, if if he's, he hasn't decided yet, but uh, Juwan was here. Uh, I congratulated him first, and I, I almost recommended I recommended him for the job too. I thought he would be a good choice, and then I then uh, he came to DC on the recruiting trip, uh, and my team I played all the six, and, and we were playing there. And Jawan was there. I took a couple photos. It was good to see him. You know, it's it's always tough. You know, when you take over where after Coach Beeline did such a great job and established the program, um, but you know, Jawan to put his own mark on the program is going to take a little time. Yeah. To to clarify, you you're um you coached in Korea um after mm-hmm. coaching in the NBA and now you're you're coaching an elite high school team out east, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, Hub, how is the the game different today than when you played at Michigan? I, I think the game is open. You know, uh, more open court, and they don't have a lot of they're not using the post players like they used to. Uh, they don't post up as much. They, Take you know they're shooting a lot of threes and spreading the game, um, trying to play fast. There's not a lot of emphasis on defense that it should be, but you know you still got to have a good defensive team to win the whole thing. But I just think it's more open and it's more faster, mm-hmm. and it's more uh, a, sh- a jump shot. Uh, and I think that follows too the way they play in the NBA. I mean, but I think that's where it's changed. You know, just the ability to shoot and drive and get to that, you know, but you never see a guy like, I know you see, do you commentate games all the time and uh, you come on a fast break instead of going to the basket, he pulls up and shoots a three. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, <laughs> we wouldn't get away with that, you know, <laughs> but that's just how it's changed. You know, uh, the, the thought pattern, even though the coaches, you know, they don't, they let the players, you know, that can do that, have that ability to make shots. They let them take them, you know, and you try to, uh, but it's just changed, you know, Still a lot of athleticism, still, but I think the the side of defense and the big man being able to just dominate in the post is is something that is going to come back. But I don't know when. As soon as you get the next shack, then it will yeah, change I guess again. As soon as you get, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, we know it's, it's changed. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, who is the toughest NBA player that you ever covered? Uh, well, I have a couple. I, I think I always say Bernard King and Larry Bird were the toughest two covers, you know, uh, for me at that time. I, there's a lot of guys I guard from all forwards, but those were just yeah, exceptional and hard to guard. You know, they're different style of player because one was fast and one was a little bit more, Bernard was a little more athletic, but Larry was just, you know, so good at his craft and what he did, but he was definitely hard to guard. And plus I always used to tell him, look, you get to shoot 30 times, so you probably don't make some, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he's just, you know, this, they were, they were very good players and very hard to guard. I mean, you know, but you know, there's a number of players too, that sometimes, you know, you know, you know how it is. Some nights you just don't have it on the defensive end and you start getting fouls and, and, uh, a player you thought that wasn't, it would be easier to guard. It's not hard, easy to guard, you know, because when you get to that level, everybody has talent. Yeah. So when you covered Larry Bird, t- take us through the game plan. What 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 were you trying to take away? I was just trying to make him work Tim for his points and not get no easy baskets, you know, and let him know that he was going to have to be defended tonight. But I mean, it, it's hard to take something away because he had inside outside post up. But you just made him, you know, if he you could take him to twenty. You know, he was averaging almost 30, and you did – I think I did a good job a couple of times, kept him in that range, you know. But you, you're you talking about playing maybe six, you know, less teams in the league, so you were going to play him at least, I think, six – was it six times? Six times maybe. So if you could – if I could win my three and he three, three – win three – you know, to win the match, win our matchup, that, that would be good. But, you know, that's – to shut him down every time is tough. Yeah. Darn near impossible. I always so, felt so. – I always felt like – if I if I was learning Larry Bird, he was learning me, <laughs> and yeah. so that was yeah. his advantage. No, no very good, very good story. Hey, um, I I um I have one more question. I want to talk to you about the current Michigan team. Uh, do you get a chance mm-hmm. to watch them a lot? What are what are some of yeah. your observations on what they've gone through this year? I think the league, you know, they 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 struggled a little bit. They started out beautiful, but you know, you know, and and you win and everything builds a lot of confidence, and then you get in. You get in the league, and we're such a tough league. It's such a balanced league that it's tough to win on the road. And then, you know, you have to uh, close games, and they've struggled at closing games a little bit late. You know, they're in them, but, you know, they, they struggle to close them because uh, that's the biggest thing. You know, you, when, you, when you're in them and you have a chance, you have to close it. I think that's where they got to get better at, making free throws, getting, the, getting stops. But uh, they were doing all that early. You know, but just, you know, when you have, a, you know, you drop a few games and the confidence may slip a little bit and then you're playing in such a tough conference as the Big Ten and it seems like nobody's wins on the road here this year uh, as much. But I, I like what I see. I think there's still efforts there. I just think they need to put a few games together and, you know, get the streak going back. Absolutely. Well, Phil Hubbard, thank you so much. It's been fun to catch up, and um, thanks no for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Good thank luck. You. Thank you, Tim. Good luck, Tim. And we're back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb here with Tim McCormick. And, Tim, you, know, you, you mentioned before the interview that Phil Hubbard was on track to, to not just being an all-time great at Michigan, but maybe even a, being a perennial NBA All-Star and I think it, it needs to be put into uh, some context, some perspective for the younger fans. 
how different because you, you said oh, he tore his ACL and I'm sure some of the younger listeners are like, ah, oh, he tore his ACL. Guys come back from touring ACLs all the time. Man, ACL surgery has has advanced light years from where it was back when when uh, Phil Hubbard tore his. You're right about that. And 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 Bob Lanier, the, the best piston center um, of all time, he had an ACL when he was at St. Bonaventure and he was never the same. Still a great player, but but the the, the advancements in medical treatment and, and surgery techniques are so much better. And you know, the other thing I wanted to share about Phil is I mentioned during the interview that he was my all-time favorite Michigan Wolverine. Uh, the first game that I ever attended as a fan, I watched Phil Hubbard. And then when I was a high school student, the Silver Dome was just a paradise for me because as a kid that didn't have any money, I, I could go up and pay $3.25, $3.25, and I could sit in the third level and watch Phil and, and Greg Kelser and, and Kent Benson and Isaiah Thomas and, and all of the Pistons. Um, I remember going to training camp that they held at Orchard Lake St. Mary. Um, and, and Phil Hubbard was there. And then in the fall, when we played against the Pistons in open gyms, you know, there was Bob McAdoo and Ken Benson and Greg Kelser. And I always wanted to cover Phil Hubbard just because I felt like some of his greatness might rub off on me a little bit. So yeah, it was really good to speak with Phil Hubbard. Yeah. Always, always great for the, you know, the younger guys, the college players to be able to play with, uh, the pros to tap into their tap into their insight and experience, and uh, you know that's something that I've heard countless guys talk about. Is in spe- especially guys from that era when there are a lot of uh, NBA guys that would come back to to play uh, open gym with the guys at Michigan. Uh, but Tim, let's let's switch gears and get back into the here and now with the maize and blue. So you said at the beginning of the podcast, heading into the week, you, you wouldn't have been surprised. If Michigan lost both games because of the uncertainty with Xavier, he was out for the Nebraska game. Michigan won. Uh, and then they announced on, on Friday that X would be back. He would be back for for the Rutgers game, which was a obviously a huge lift for them in this contest. And yet there is still going to need to be, uh, you know, someone that really stepped up there in the absence of Isaiah Livers. You needed someone to really pick up the scoring load. And boy, oh boy, for the second week in a row, or excuse me, second game in a row, Brandon Johns comes in there with another career high. I just thought he was great. And one of the the most impressive things to me, we 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 know he can rebound his position. Um, we we know that he runs the court. I I just I watched him shoot four out of seven from three. And the balance and the shot mechanics were flawless. And and I was so happy to see that we've, we've complained, or at least I've complained about Michigan's shot mechanics a lot. And, and I thought he was great. Also, what a good defender he is. He can cover any spot for a time one through four. And that gives you so much flexibility. Um, I didn't, I didn't realize he was this versatile, a defender. And, and when you think about the, the, the importance of this win overall, uh, this Rutgers team was seven and three in the Big Ten, near the top of the standings, and they had just won four of five. This was a really good win, and and as I watched this game against Rutgers, 
it became apparent to me that Michigan has some flaws from a talent deficit standpoint. Um, when you consider that their best players that, that were on the team last year are all gone, you've got Matthews, you've got Iggy, and you've got Jordan Poole plus Livers. I mean, that, that's a lot to replace in a short period of time. And, and when you, you look at the chemistry that they have, this team is very coachable. They follow their game plan. They, they don't have a lot of depth. Four players played 38 minutes, which is unheard of. I just think that, that if this Michigan team gets to the NCAA tournament, they deserve so much credit for a successful season. Yeah, you know, getting back to to, to Brandon Johns for a moment, uh, you know, I I admit to as we headed into this stretch, not you know, not really expecting this this outburst that we've seen from him. Uh, but at the same time, I, I am not I'm not totally surprised by it because you know the first time I saw Brandon Johns play, it was this summer between his eighth grade year and start of his high school career at East Lansing and Tim you, you know you watch him at that time he must have been he maybe was about 6'6 six, six, uh, about 185 190 at that time and this was a guy who you looked at and you said man his his versatility offensively he put it on the floor well you saw him play in the post and he shot threes well uh, and he did he he showed himself to be a good perimeter player over the course of his high school career not until he got to Michigan and in his freshman year, kind of forced into playing some five out of necessity for the Wolverines that maybe we started to lose sight of what a versatile offensive guy he was. I think it was a matter of of, of opportunity, uh, of opportunity to, to kind of flex offensively in that way and then rediscovering some of his confidence uh, as a perimeter player. And I think, you know, these last couple of games, don't want to make too much of them, but I think we're we're seeing some of that the the confident Brandon Johns that we saw at East Lansing do a terrific job. I mean, he was more an offensive guy. He was more regarded as a as a perimeter offensive guy, maybe even more of a finesse guy, dare I say, than than this more physical, athletic uh, guy that we that we kind of regard him to be now, or at least up until these couple of games. I think maybe we're starting to see some of that some of that perimeter versatility come back to the fore. And if he can continue that physical presence, Tim, being a presence on the glass, being a presence defensively, uh, I think that could be the silver lining to this, to this injury that we've seen them go through with Isaiah livers. Exactly. And when you, when you look at the, the, the foundation of how Brandon Johns was able to get those open shots, he was wide open. His teammates were looking for him, and they delivered excellent passes. He blocked some key shots. He's had seven rebounds in his last two games. And, and as I watched him play, I thought, wow. Think about he and Isaiah Livers and Teske as your front court defensively. You, you know, you, there's going to be some opportunity to maybe switch one through five. Um, I, I think that, that Brandon Johns, if you look later this week, is going to play a lot better against Michigan State and could be a guy because he can cover Aaron Henry. He can he can he can switch on to guards for short periods of time. That's going to be a lot of fun. I, I also want to reference that Michigan's big guys really won the game for them. 
Teske and Johns and Davis combined for 41 mm-hmm. points and 17 rebounds. That is huge. And and I um I know that the the expectation is that this is Davis's last year. Um is that what you're hearing? That was kind of what I was uh, yeah that's that's definitely what I've been thinking at at the very least uh this season. Wow, I I was watching him and I thought he's improved so much and if he does have another year that would be a tough guy from a leadership standpoint from a role playing standpoint to let go. I I just I thought his his play was was so impactful because basically you got a full 40 minutes of high quality post play between Davis and Teske. Yeah, I, you know, I think it it, it all boils down to uh, you know how much scholarship versatility they have. How do they finish out this class? You know, they're still recruiting uh, you know, a couple of big time guys, most notably Josh Christopher. So, you know, your scholarship crunch, what does it look like? Uh, I think is going to be the, the the question in determining what happens with, with Austin Davis here in the future. But you're right. He's definitely played that into a second thought at, at the very mm-hmm. least to, to your point, Tim, because he, you know, I thought those guys, this is the best we've seen uh, Michigan do with the pick and roll in, in some time. I mean, that was a, that was a bread and butter play for them, especially with Austin Davis in this game. And, and I wanted to make note uh, really quickly before we got off of Brandon Johns, his two assists in that game, I thought were, were outstanding. And a, an example of a young guy who they had tasked with scoring more. Brandon, we need you to be more aggressive on the offensive end of the floor. We need you to, we need you to score more points. He's doing it, Tim. He's hitting threes. You know, he's he's making plays going to the rim. And yet, think about his two assists. I believe it was the first one. He caught the ball uh, on an, for an elbow three. He was open. He makes the extra pass to the corner to Eli Brooks for a better look for three. His, his other assist, he's driving it to the rim. He's probably going to get fouled as he goes up. Instead, he kicks it out for another open three. That was that was converted again. This is a guy that to me was impressive for a guy who you think young guy. They're telling him to score. These are great opportunities. And yet he still had the feel and the recognition to make those plays in those moments. You just put a big smile on my face. Those were huge. They they, they were really important plays That's six points right there in a six point game. Um, a, a couple of other things. I think we have to, to reference the fact that Xavier Simpson, Franz Wagner, six out of six from the line to close out the yes. game. Very clutch. <laughs> yes. I, I, I really, I really love that. Yeah. And then another thing that's important is Peyton Pritchard, Ayodisumnu, Luca Garza, Daniel Oturu. They all torch Michigan. The top player on a lot of these teams that we're playing have, have destroyed Michigan. Well, against Rutgers, they did a much better job closing the paint. Um, Rutgers is not a great perimeter shooting team, and Michigan contested very well. Geo Baker, one for nine. Ron Harper Jr., one for ten. For a change, we took the opponent's best score, two for 19, those two top scores. That was pretty darn impressive to me. They contained the ball. The communication problems that Juwan has been complaining about seem to be remedied for one game. 
very good job. Yeah, I think it was terrific points, Tim, and and to to really highlight what you said about Xavier Simpson and, and free throws. Uh, down stretch seven for nine for the game uh, is a huge stat for him. Uh, Ten assists, really, really found his teammates, uh, and, and and he could have had a few more. If guys had to convert it, he found some guys for some wide open looks. I know he got a, got a, he had six turnovers, got away with it with a few as well. Uh, but he was a, he was the the maestro, the orchestrator that they need him to be uh, in this game. So coming off of a suspension, as we talked about, a a blemish, but that's the way you come back. That's the way you bounce back. You step back into that leadership role. You you accept responsibility, which he did. Both in his statement and his post game interview, he said, "Look, I, I deserved it. Uh, now I'm back here for my teammates. I'm going to lead them." And he did by example on the court and vocally on the court uh, against Rutgers. So this may sound crazy, but I have more respect for Xavier Simpson today than I did last week. And and I know he made a mistake. He did something that leaders aren't supposed to do. I don't know exactly what he did, but I love the fact that he took ownership of it, he apologized, and then he went out and he won a game. And and that's that's really one of the, the great hidden keys to sports is how it can reveal character, it can develop character, it can it can set standards for, for the future. Um, I I I've completely forgotten about what happened and you know as a Michigan basketball fan, I'm proud of Xavier and I'm ready to move on and get out, get after Ohio state. So concerns, concerns, where would you, where are your, your biggest concerns for this team as they head deeper into this stretch as we get into the second half of, of big 10 play? I I just don't trust the perimeter shooting. Uh, When Michigan makes threes as they did in the Bahamas, as they did against Creighton, by the way, Creighton had a really big win. They blew out, uh, Villanova, mm-hmm. and and so wasn't that you know, at they, Nova? Was that at Villanova? It was at Nova. Yeah, and and so that helps Michigan a lot with their resume to have you know a victory against Creighton. But but beside that, can Michigan find consistent shooting? I I trust that they're going to be a good team defensively um, against perimeter guys. But going up against Caleb Wesson and Xavier Tillman this week. Those are two big guys that we need to see Michigan's post defense improve. Um, I, I also think that the trend of high turnovers the last two games, 16 and 17 against Nebraska and against Rutgers, that, that cannot happen. Those teams will, will, will get out in transition and destroy you. So those are some of the keys that I have moving forward. All right, so Tim, uh, you, you mentioned the, the big game rivalry games, Ohio State and Michigan State taking on the Buckeyes on Tuesday, likely without their their freshman big-time point guard, who I know you know well. Michigan recruited him hard. They finished probably second for him. Uh, but D.J. Carton is taking a leave of absence from, from the team, from the program, to uh, address some, some mental health issues that he acknowledged publicly uh, and and said it's an indefinite period of time. He's going to take the time that he needs uh, to 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 get back uh, where he needs to be mentally, so he can give more of himself to his team. And that's something that the the program. I got to commend them for the for this. Something that the program is really being supportive of him with. I'm I'm so happy about the 
the, the new age approach to mental wellness. Um, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, if a player was struggling with something, there, there was a macho mindset, like just suck it up and get out there. You're okay. Just play with it. And, and now, you know, thanks to, you know, Kevin Love in the NBA, DeMar DeRozan, there, there's more awareness that, you know, you're, 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 you're an athlete second, you know, your, your, your personal mental health is so much more important and, and he's young and it's so smart to get ahead of these issues right now. He'll get some great treatment and come back and, and have a great career at Ohio State. Um, I like Dwayne Washington a lot for Ohio State. Um, you know, he's a double-figure scorer. I actually played with his father with the New Jersey Nets. Um, mm-hmm. His dad, Dwayne Washington, also. They came from Grand Rapids, so that's going to be a big game for him. I think that's a fun matchup against Xavier Simpson. I, I think that's one of the keys. And then Teske and Caleb Wesson is the marquee matchup, 14-10 and 10 for Caleb Wesson. I think that that Michigan is going to beat Ohio state. Um, I, I, I think that, that the home court is going to be huge. There's a lot at stake. And once again, you know, both teams have struggled recently mm-hmm. and this is an opportunity to, to play in a rivalry game. And, and this sparks will be flying at Chrysler. Yeah. To really, really, really try to find some, some footing for two teams that earlier in the year, and you can speak to this, Tim earlier in the year, a lot of folks are saying, Hey man, Ohio State is going to threaten, you know, they're going to threaten to to win this league. They are right up there with, with Michigan State. There are many people that were saying that. And then, as you said, like Michigan, they fell on some hard times. But, yeah, I think Michigan fans, you know, after you move past the 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 obvious support and sympathy for, for any guy, even an Ohio State guy who's going through what DJ Carton is, is going through, you, you start to focus back on the game. You say, hey, all right, well, they're going to be without DJ Carton. Uh, you know that that might be an easier, easier out. Remember, C.J. Walker uh, is you know he's a veteran guy coming transferring over from Florida State has been through the rigors. Uh, you know he played well for them in the in the victory over over Indiana here. You know with I think he I think they said he led them in minutes that game uh, and had fourteen yep. points and four assists. So uh, and then you mentioned Dwayne Washington a very capable guy for them off the bench that Michigan fans will know as Michigan recruited him in the state of Michigan guy before he went out to California. So they still have guys in the backcourt, even without DJ Carton. What they don't have is, you know, as far as true point guards are concerned, I mean, CJ Walker is really it. You're going to get some, some relief from, from Dwayne Washington, but they still have capable players that Michigan going to have a, a, a load of a time, uh, you know, trying to handle. So Caleb Wesson being the main one, though, what do they do there? I am heartened by what we saw from from them the last the, the couple of games prior to Nebraska and Rutgers, Tim, and that was a willingness, a willingness at least to to double in the post and to start doing so early in the game. I think if 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 push comes to shove and they see Caleb Wesson, you know, going off early, if they don't do it from the onset. I don't think we'll see them waiting till the end of the game uh, to st- start trying to run a double team at them. Well, the the um, the the defenses for Michigan are evolving, and and I and I've learned a little bit about what Juwan Howard is is trying to do. I believe that he is giving his defensive philosophy um, a little at a time, and you know, early in the year he wanted to play straight up. 
um, and and get get the guys comfortable with how that looks. And and we, we you know we saw a little digging um, you know here and there in in recent games against Kofi Coburn, and 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 I think that they'll dig and they'll they'll mix things up a little bit against Wesson. I, I just think it's an evolution piece. Um, we saw some different pick and roll defense. They went back a little bit more to drop coverage when Geo Baker was driving. Um, I, I, I think I think we're going to see a lot of different defenses. I don't totally trust Ohio State's three point shooting, so maybe they'll play um, a little bit different based on that. But you know, after starting the season nine and zero, they they really Ohio State really did look like a Final Four type of roster. Um, but they're playing better now. They've they've beaten. Northwestern on the road, which isn't anything to, you know, to, to brag about. Um, but winning against Indiana was impressive and, and their guard play was pretty darn good. So I think it's going to be an outstanding game. And, and I do think Michigan will win. Yeah, if ever there was a, if ever there were a cautionary tale uh, for, you know, for Michigan fans, when you talk about looking at Ohio state uh, without, without DJ Carton, just look over at Michigan state. And and the game they just played against, game they just played against uh, Wisconsin that they lost to Wisconsin, uh, despite the suspension of of Brad Davison. That's that's number one. Uh, and then Kobe King, you know the team's second leading scorer, he transfers, just you know up and transfers, uh, you know middle of the season. Uh, you lose two key cogs. I don't think there is anyone, anyone in America that wasn't playing for Wisconsin that thought that Wisconsin was going to win that game, and yet they beat Michigan State. So that just, to get back to Michigan, you can't overlook, uh, you know, just how good Ohio State can be without D.J. Carton. But now getting to Michigan State, uh, a team that you you know is going to be extremely they're going to be dialed into Michigan anyway and I know they play before they come to Ann Arbor they're going to be even more dialed in on the heels of that disappointing loss for them well i it was an uncharacteristic loss for Michigan state for sure they were down 16 at half and and it was just it, it was a really impressive second half for Michigan state but you have to be surprised when you look at Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman being 12 for 34 from the field. Um, Rocket Watts is certainly playing a little bit better. Um, you know, their turnovers seem to be much better than they were earlier this year. And and when you look at Michigan State, you know, we've really struggled to contain their pick and roll game. Mm-hmm. And Xavier Tillman's athleticism has given John Teske some problems. But I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not in love with Michigan State's team this year. I actually think that for them to be you know, eight and three in the big 10 has impressed me. Um, I go back to an earlier statement that I made about the fact that I, I believe that, that the big 10 champ will have five losses this year. And I made that statement based on the fact that I just, I, I, I think Michigan state's going to be near the top, but I think that they'll have five losses in the big 10 by the end of the season. Yeah. You, you mentioned the combined stats for Cassius Winston and Xavier Tillman against Wisconsin. You know, Cassius actually had a, you know, he had a decent, you know, a, a pretty good shooting. He was nine for 19 from the field, but it, Xavier Tillman was three for 15. He had a, a horrible game for them. Uh, on the flip side, if you want to look at a, a silver lining for them in that disappointment, it was the the play of Rocket Watts, who uh, who has yeah I think in in the last four games they mentioned this during the 
doing the broadcast. In four of his last six games, he scored in double figures. Uh, he is really emerging as a legit uh, three-point shooting threat for for them. So he's that's going to be a different uh, a different element, a different factor for for Michigan State going into that game. But different for Michigan, and you kind of highlighted this before, Tim, is you know Brandon Johns. Brandon Johns actually in the last Michigan State game started out really really strong, had a solid effort, finished uh, with a double-digit performance, uh, twelve points, but. You know, his last two games, I think, is going to give him even more confidence heading into this game. And then the other piece of it is, you know, Michigan having a little more confidence, getting the ball down in the post. I think that's important based on the way that Michigan State plays them and how they switch screens. Uh, And then Xavier Simpson, we saw him become more adept really in that game was where it really started. He seemed to be more aggressive attacking to his left. I think all those are three big factors in this game for the Maize and Blue. Well, the the um, the thing that you mentioned about Xavier makes sense to me because right now, you know, in the Big Ten race, and when you consider the fact that, that Illinois lost on Sunday to Iowa on the road, you've got Michigan State, Illinois, and Maryland all at, at the top of the Big Ten with three losses each. Um, each of them has a point guard that is is creating. Um, and Dusunu, I, I kind of count as a point guard for Illinois. I guess he's more of a shooting guard. But they all have that guard that is creating points. And, and that's why it's important that Xavier Simpson be that Michigan catalyst, not only to score, um, because opposing big men have, have – figured him out a little bit when he drives and he shoots that hook shot, mm-hmm. but he's got, he's got to be aggressive and very smart and crisp with his passes to make sure that his guys are getting offense. That that's his job more than anything else. Uh, you know, Michigan has a great opportunity. You got to protect your home floor. You're getting some rivals uh, coming to town. Saturday's going to be a maze out. Going to be huge for the fans to be in there. We'll be back next week. Tim to talk all about it. Can't wait and hope we've got two more wins under our belt. All right. Thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider.